Solo. Welcome to Cinematic Release, a podcast of the Phantom Mentals. I'm your host, Jeremiah. With me today is Anne. Hi. Say hi, Anne. How's it going? <laughs> um, in case the name didn't speak for itself, we're here to talk movies. We are going to be a bi-weekly podcast. With each episode, we'll discuss four movies we're going to pertaining to a particular theme. Uh, the difference between us and almost every other podcast is we're not going to be just doing like random rankings or picking like 15 best of or just dissecting character tropes just outside of the movie. We're going to be picking four movies that deal with the theme and then we're just going to be talking about the movie, analyzing the movie, analyzing our emotions connected to the movie, if the movie if it makes us feel a certain way, how and why. Um... We're not going to be talking about the latest weekend openings. We're just going to be talking about four random movies. I'm going to try to keep them pretty well, like, one fun, one classical, one contemporary, one maybe from the 80s or 70s. But it's going to be a nice... I'm going to try to keep a nice mixed bag of it. Um, so, outside of all of that, uh, basically we're going to be dealing with movies as works of art. Deeply personal works of art, both for the artist and the audience. Um, I think movies are the most important of the mass arts. And so we're going to be talking about them with reverence, but at the same time irreverence. Anything's up for grabs in this. It's a safe space as well as a space that you are allowed to disagree with anything anyone says. At the same time, you're not allowed to be disrespectful, but I don't think we're going to have a problem with that. Um, Outside of all that, forget everything I just said because it's going to be a completely different episode for the first episode. We're going to be talking about the rule change at the BAFTAs and the Oscars. So, Anne, do you want to tell us what the BAFTAs are? Alright, yeah, let's get into it. Um, so, the BAFTA stands for British Academy of Film and Television Arts. Um, we just had the 70th award ceremony on February 12th, 2017. Um, so, we can have a look at some of the winners of this year. Well, the BAFTAs are basically, they're like the Oscars, but not quite, because as you said, they have television. Yes. And also, the president of the BAFTAs is Prince William. That is correct. America would never stand for any president being in charge of the war ceremony. Not at all. (laughs) Especially the current one. Um... But, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. No, that's alright. I was just going to mention um, that, obviously, our listeners would be familiar with some of the films that have uh, won awards at the BAFTAs, such as La La Land, which is probably going to be talked about quite a bit in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I wasn't really going to be talking about the BAFTA nominees so much as just the BAFTA rule change. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think a, a lot of the films that have been nominated this year, especially due to the Oscars, so white controversy, which we will talk about a bit. Um, some of the films are, like, strangely relevant to the rule change. Um, do you want to explain some of the rule changes? Yeah, the rule change is simply they want the Baptists to adhere to the uh, BFI standards, British Film Institute. And the BFI defines diversity in subject matter as, quote, identity relating to ethnicity or national origins, a specific focus on women, people with disabilities, sexual identity, age, and people from a socially disadvantaged background, and where the film attaches value to those aspects or dimensions of self and or community identity in relation to religion or beliefs, end quote. And in addition, they also want uh, crew members to be di- uh, also be diverse, mostly in the same way, ethnicity, disability, sexual identity, gender, or from a socially disadvantaged background. Yes. Essentially, though, what they're actually doing, though, is basically you just have to meet two out of three of the criteria. Like It's okay if the film doesn't have all three, you just got to have a majority of it in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, Ben Roberts even said, uh, Ben Roberts, the director of the BFI, said the three ticks approach 
incentivizes good practice and helps to embed diversity across every area of film production whilst being flexible enough to allow productions to make positive choices. Ideally, we want to see the industry embracing the three ticks approach to ensure that the most talented are able to progress and succeed, whatever their background. Yeah, and I think what I find most interesting is not just the rule change for what films they're going to accept. Oh, and we haven't actually mentioned that these rules only apply to two awards, which is Outstanding British Film and Outstanding Debut by a British Writer. So this is really only applicable to the BAFTAs and to these rules kind of don't they don't work for all of the films that the BAFTAs award right so it's like it's not it's not just a it's not a rule that encompasses the entirety of what's made in Britain yeah it's just made for like a like like you said uh production yeah exactly but yeah what I find most interesting um is actually not the the rule for what films are eligible but they've also changed uh the rule for how you get a BAFTA membership. So previously you had to be recommended by two pre-existing members in order to get a seat, but they've now scrapped that as well. I'm assuming it comes into 2019 as well, in terms of these rules don't start. Uh, it's actually, I think that's one of the things that's actually already started. Oh, it has started? Okay. Because I did know that... Yeah, that's, um, like, that's one of the things they've implemented. Yeah, because I did know that the... Uh, the sorry, looking at my notes, <laughs> a lot okay. of like uh, percentage numbers here. The intake of new members um, changed fairly drastically between 2015 and 2016 due to these these changes. Yeah. So you're seeing more. It's, it's kind of amazing once you say anyone who gets in based on merit gets in. Yeah, exactly. Because it used I'm to sorry, be who you know is the whole idea in terms of if you have to be nominated by other people already in the membership, it's about that same pool of people. Um, and that who-you-know principle that exists in the entire film industry is probably the most dangerous thing in regards to perpetuating white male dominance in the film industry. Well, um, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm actually thrilled to see that go as criteria for a BAFTA membership because... Well, like, even really the Oscars have even done that. Talent. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's yeah. a progressive move, certainly. Well, it's like it's one of the things with like it's such a simple change, and you wonder why no one's done it before because it is clearly of all the changes they do, it's the one that has the most effect. Yeah, absolutely. Because as soon as I you mean, get just, a wider pool of people looking at films, you're going to get wider opinions on what's deserving yeah. of award. Well, not only that, but like to some degree, you do need to have someone to invite you in. But if a person only hangs around with white straight males are only going to invite white straight males in. Yeah, like, and If you want to have anything like that, it should be like a mentorship, but that shouldn't be like predicated on how you get in. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of almost odd that they use that as a criteria in the first place. I mean, it makes sense because that's how the industry works in terms of you see the same directors working with the same actors and working with the same cinematographers over and over again because they find people that they like and they go oh we can make a great project together and I guess it's the same sort of idea working with the same people well like um you hear stories all the time and people uh in terms in America we have what's called the SAG the Screen Actors Guild yeah and it's a union of screen actors and that's how you get the benefits and everything and you hear stories about how'd you become a SAG member oh I was working on this movie and they basically had 40 sad cards they were handing out and you just had to rush over there and get them before someone else did. Yeah. And it's like, that. wait, that's how you get in? Like, people fight all their lives to get in and sometimes all it is is you just happen to be working on a movie and there's a producer's like, I got 70 of these, who wants them? Yeah, exactly. It's a very tight circle of people and that's why the Hollywood dream exists because it really is often a, a higher tier that is not accessible to everyone, so anyways, making it more accessible is definitely a positive. Right. The other rules we were talking about, that stuff doesn't go into effect to 2019, so this is yes. mainly just them announcing way ahead of a time. Which makes sense, obviously, um, because my... they want filmmakers to be preparing for it now, because any films that are going to be in the 2019 awards are in pre-production now, at minimum. This is true. 
Are there any cons to this rule change, just out of curiosity, that you see? Um, some of the reports, at least, just seem very vague in terms of what constitutes diversity. I mean, there's specifics in terms of the BFI that you mentioned, but yeah, I guess in terms of audiences understanding like what these rule changes are and how they will impact films, I don't know how much right. that's going to change. Well, it's also the thing was like the rules. Like, they, it's really hard to find like the actual rules because, as you say, they just most of the articles I've read just go well. They're based on off the what the BFI calls diversity. So then you go with the BFI calls diversity, and it's like, okay, that's fine. And then you go and you read him further, and it says it only applies to certain films, so even all of the films being nominated for BAFTAs aren't subject to this. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting, so, if you look at the films that were nominated, sorry, that won this year, those two awards. So we have um, I, Daniel Blake, that won the best... Sorry, the outstanding British film, and then Under the Shadow, one outstanding debut by a British writer. And both of those films have aspects of diversity, you could argue, certainly. Um, I, Daniel Blake, is about a middle-aged man that uh, is fighting the welfare system, so we're talking about a class of people that is definitely not Hollywood standard. Um, And then Under the Shadow is an Iranian horror film, which I believe has two female characters that are kind of leading. So there's a lot going on there, at least on the surface, with those two, two films. Right. Um, but in regards to how... Out of the Shadows, is that the same guy who did... Hmm? Sorry, continue. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I was, like, I was wondering if the Out of the Shadows, is that the same guy who did the um, Iranian vampire movie? Um. Oh, the... The Girl Walks Home Alone at Night? Yes. Um... The director and writer of Under the Shadow is Babak Anvari. I don't believe that is the right. same director. Let me just double check. He that. is not allowed to be in the U.S. because stupid. Um, but yes, so we have seen just already before the rule chains even go into effect, immediate consequences, good consequences, mind you. Yeah. So it's a question of. Um, you know, on the surface, those films definitely uh, have diverse aspects. So you, I guess what the BAFTA is really encouraging those filmmakers to be looking at is whether, you know, they're practicing what they preach in terms of do we have a diverse uh, crew working on this film and are we giving opportunities to filmmakers at the same time? Right, and are we allowing all stories to be told as opposed to just this one story that we've told a thousand times? Yeah. And, and I think just really, to confirm for our audience, uh, the director of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is Anna Lily Amirpour. So, oh, okay. two different Iranian filmmakers there. My apologies. But that's great, you know. Um, more Iranian just, film. <laughs> we have at least two Iranian vampire movies, eh? Yeah, that's a, a very specific Am I, am I mistaken? I thought is that. Uh. Hmm? Under the Shadow, I'm not actually, I don't know that much about the plot, but it certainly has supernatural elements. So, awesome. Iranian horror seems to be an increasing genre, which is cool. Very specific. Which is nice. The Germans shouldn't have all the fun. Um, <laughs> well, the, the only, like, real downside, like, if I was concerned about the rule until I read the rule, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Because I was always like, oh, so now they're telling filmmakers what they have to, like, what stories to tell, and that's not what they're saying at all. And I was like, so the law of unintentional consequences that I was afraid of turns out to not really be that big of a deal. Yeah, I see. I think the only sort of potential that I could see for this to sort of backfire is that because it's only the. It's only British films and it doesn't affect a lot of the big. Um, you know, award season winners like La La Land, for example, which is probably going to sweep the Oscars. Um, okay. Really, in order to make any kind of impact on the industry, and obviously this is a long-term goal, we're not going to see these kind of changes from 2019 to 2020, 
Um, but you really need the big name producers to be actively making these changes. And because right. at the moment we're only seeing these rules apply. Like it's not to enough that like um, it's not enough that Barry Jenkins tells these stories, but Michael Bay has to get on the act too. Well, yeah, it's it's just kind of like if you're going to apply these rules to one awards uh, ceremony, I kind of feel like it needs to be applied to all of them in order for there to, yeah. to be any sort of big impact. Because you can see films going like, oh, well, we might not win something at the BAFTAs, but there's ten other awards that we're going to win, so it's not right. really. Well, well, that's what, the, what my one fear of this was because I'm white. Uh, I don't know if you're white. But I do know I that white people... <laughs> I was like, I do know that white people would... Pop, like, the only thing I saw was like, oh, we'll delegitimize the Baptists and don't have to worry about this at all. Yeah. Um, well, actually, because uh, I'm from Australia and our industry, Screen Australia, has actually implemented a similar kind of role in terms of their funding that they give out in the next couple of years. And they've mm-hmm. basically said... They've currently got, I think, two women running Screen Australia, which is new in and of itself. And they right, have a really right. big diversity plan at the moment, um, which is to get a lot more women involved, people from different um, ethnic backgrounds, and people of diverse sexuality. And in order to do that, they're essentially not giving any funding to white men at the moment. Like, they've pretty much stated that <laughs> outright. And it it's kind of like... It seems sort of shocking in one sense, but the point was, because I heard them speak about this at, like, um, some kind of conference thing a couple of months ago, and it was, you know, trying to say that in order to see change, it's got to go flip side, so we've got to actually see funding and opportunity for more women than there are men for a little while so that we can actually reach that 50-50. Right. Um, so that's kind of the goal of Screen Australia at the moment in terms of funding. They're focusing primarily on women and other minority groups in order to flip the script and hopefully see a lasting change. So it kind of sounds similar in terms of, you know, that whole, oh, this means less opportunity for white men. But, right. yeah, that's the point. It's going to feel that way for a little while. <laughs> well, this is sort of like... um. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg famously said a couple years ago she would love to see an all-woman Supreme Court. And there was a lot of sort of like shock and like outrage at that, but she's like, I've seen an all-male Supreme Court ever since the beginning, so it's not really that big of a deal. You just had the driver's seat for so damn long. Exactly. And it's kind of like, yeah, no, it's not the world's biggest deal for like maybe two years white male filmmakers don't get extra money. They're not saying they don't get any money from other people who want to give them money. Yeah. I got news for you. White male filmmakers will always find a way to get money. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, the entire... We all know that the entire system is is built for them. So, then the point is not to... (laughs) we're, we're, We're not... We're not looking to erase the white man from the film industry. Like, that's not helping anyone. It's just about evening out the opportunity. Like, and I think what I see most of the time when I see any kind of backlash is people feeling, well, like, well, why are you shutting them out? We're not. We're just saying they've got this one leg up for so long, maybe we give it to someone else. Yeah, exactly. Because if a white straight guy walks into a film office and says, have I got an idea for you, it involves explosions, and a black guy walks into the same film office and goes, have I got an idea for you, it doesn't have explosions, I know who's getting the money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry if that sounds blunt. No, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so moving on now that I think we've covered that pretty well. Do you yeah. have anything to add about that before we move on? Um, no, I don't think so. That covers most of my thoughts, I would say. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Oscars now. The 2017 Oscars. Um, first off, before we get to the nominees, do they matter? Uh, yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Personally, I would actually say that on a cinematic quality level, I personally don't believe that they matter. 
on a cultural impact. I'm with you. I could honestly give two shits about the Oscars. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's better movies out there that are not getting nominated. Um, But on a cultural impact level, in terms of how society looks at the Oscars, they absolutely do matter. And hopefully that'll kind of change. Right. Well, like, growing up, I used to think the Oscars were like the Super Bowl or the World Series. Yeah. And then that sort of fades away when you start to realize that the World Series and the Super Bowl at least make you understand why people made it there. Whereas when you look at the Oscars, you're like, I don't understand. Yeah. How did this get here? The, the voting isn't transparent. There's no real reason why anything gets nominated outside of, well, they like the story behind the movie. Yeah, and, like, I've always had a particular issue with the way that, um the writing categories are nominated because there's a really big difference between, you know, what makes a great film and what makes a great script. And time right. and time again, we see the Best Picture nominees also getting nominated in, in the writing sort of categories. And on in terms of some films, like, that's absolutely correct. And then on other films, I'm just like, look, this was great visually, this is a masterpiece, but on paper, that probably looked terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, just because a movie is amazing doesn't mean the script was amazing. It means the director knew what to do. I feel like the people that are voting for the Oscars, like, really don't know what makes a great screenplay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, um... It's one of the things where, like, best directors are nominated only by the DGA members, director guilds. And then the nominees themselves are then voted on by everyone else. Mm-hmm. So, and I think there are a lot of categories in which only, like, people in the makeup nominate people in the makeup, and then everyone votes for the nominees of people in makeup shows. Yeah. But it's one of the things where, like, you're right, the Oscars don't matter in the fucking slightest. And yet they do at the same time. Because the Oscar is so white thing. It matters for the same reason why Jackie Robinson matters in baseball. It's just a game. But if we can't have a quality in something that's just a game, then we really haven't reached a quality yet. Yeah. And so when I see, when we fight for diversities in the Oscars, I, it's, it's for something we don't really care for, but at the same time... Because we don't care about it doesn't mean it's not important to somebody else. Not to mention, winning an Oscar means nothing in the long run, but it means something in terms of how much money you get out of your next deal. Yeah, well, I mean, that's exactly the example that we're seeing with, um, excuse me if I pronounce this incorrectly, um, Damien Chazelle, the director of La La Land, who previously did Whiplash, Whiplash came out of nowhere, at least, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, I read it as a blacklist script, like, way before it was even in pre-production, and I just thought it was, like, the weirdest thing. Um, So I don't know who, (laughs) like, saw the short film and picked it up and was like, this is a masterpiece. But that's what happened, and now he's, you know, just sweeping the Oscars at, you know, the enviously young age of... 30-something. Well, yeah, no, it's one of the things where he's young and he's white and he's straight, and visually he seems like a good director, so people like that. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not gonna lie, I enjoyed his films. Um, but my brother and I were discussing La La Land after we saw it, and, um, I think Damien Chazelle's next project is, um, another, it's a biopic with Ryan Gosling, I think about, is it Neil Armstrong? (laughs) I'd... See, and I want to see a Neil Armstrong biography movie, but I just don't know if I want to see Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong directed by Damien Yeah, Chazelle. I just, I, I don't know. It just seems like a, an odd choice. But yeah, my brother and I saw La La Land, and then we heard that news, and my brother was like, that's it, he's done. This is his peak, La La Land is his peak, <laughs> and we'll probably never hear of him again. But we'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> Alright, so... Let me uh, list the nominees for Best Picture real quick. Yeah. The nominee for the Best Picture Oscars, Hello High Water, Moonlight, Arrival, Lion, Hacksaw Ridge, Fences, La La Land, Hidden Figures, 
Manchester by the Sea. Out of those nine, did you uh, which ones did you see? I have seen five. Um, so I saw Hacksaw okay. Ridge, Hidden Figures, Moonlight, Arrival, and La La Land. I saw Hello High Water, Moonlight, Arrival, Fences, La La Land, and Hidden Figures, and Manchester. Oh, great. Yeah, I um, think we can all agree that Moonlight is the best film. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I was like... Yeah, no, I, I loved um, Moonlight. I thought it was fantastic. I got to see Moonlight at the uh, Arclight Cinema Dome, and it was... Oh, yeah. That would be great. Next to... Next to Sudden Women and Arrival is one of the best films of the year, honestly. Um, I, I didn't see Hacksaw Ridge. I'm curious what you thought of Hacksaw Ridge. Um, honestly, my biggest problem with Hacksaw Ridge is that it stars Andrew Garfield, who, although his performance was great, he was far, far better in Silence, which was ultimately hugely snubbed. So really, I feel like he should be getting nominated for that instead of Hacksaw Ridge. Um... But from everything I've heard, sorry, go ahead. No, continue. I was like, from everything I heard, Andrew Garfield just gave a really weird version of a southern accent. Yeah, I mean, accents are always a weird, a weird thing in, especially when regards to the Oscars. You kind of have to have one in order to get nominated for the best acting award. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have one that's not your own. Um. But yeah, I mean like I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie. It was um actually not as confronting and violent as I thought it was gonna be. Um right. but huge religious undertones, which weren't even undertones really, I don't know why I just used that word. Themes. Um <laughs> but yeah, I mean like it was quite an emotional story in terms of it really sucked you in with his character. Um, you know, fighting for this idea of non-violence in the war um, and, like, you know, saving a whole lot of people right. and stuff like that. It's really emotional and, like, it gets you with the score and all that kind of thing. Um, but I really don't think it's going to be that memorable. Right. As far as... Well, from what I can uh, understand, most people, like, it's not a... It's a good movie. It's not a great movie, but of all the things for Mel Gibson to be invited back on, is Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> yeah. It's it's an odd one. Then again, Mel Gibson's like the king of odd at the moment. What with these rumors about him and Suicide right. Squad. That beard isn't helping anything, but <laughs> I kind of love it. Um, Arrival is I don't know if you've seen I that, did, but yeah. it is. Um, it was amazing. I loved the inversion of gender tropes. Yeah. If you notice, Jamie Renner, the first thing he does when he's inside the spaceship is he falls down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and even the, even like when they first meet inside the helicopter, that little tit for tat they have. In any other movie, she would have he would have had the last word, but in this one, she gets the last word. In any other movie, at the end, when the character's on the phone trying to make that last minute like dish to save the world. She would be stopping the guys from attacking him, but in this one, yeah, it's the other exactly. way around. I really enjoyed it. She's giving all the, not attributes of a male character, but all the character moments of a male character. Yeah. Even the introduction of romance is from the Jamie Reno character. Yeah, that's true. And I really just enjoyed that film on so many levels in terms of I thought it was relatively original for that kind of sci-fi alien landing well it was because it, it focused on language and film language yeah at the same time. and i loved the language aspect of it like the way people talked well not even like even the spaceship like it's almost like an homage to movie making itself because the spaceship has the shape of a camera lens the inside the spaceship when you go in it looks like you're going in through a viewfinder of an old movieola camera the whole, like, when they're talking to the aliens, it looks like they're looking at a giant movie screen. They're even looking up like you would be sitting down. Yeah, well, I mean, the entire film is... And it's almost like he's saying the idea of first yeah. contact. 
Sorry, I was just going to say the entire, like, theme of the film, you know, is obviously communication, um, but the film just does a really great job of portraying that on so many different levels in terms of there's a whole lot going on with the sound design that's about communication, and then the sort of visual um, crossover in terms of the, the language learning in the film. It's, like, it's visual and kind of right. there's still that spoken aspect in terms of how the humans are relating. Well, not only that, but, like, one of the hardest things to do visually is to talk about language and writing. And he does such a good job yeah. in doing that. Like, even when she's dissecting of, like, what a question means and how we have to figure out the basis of understanding before we even ask this basic question. He makes sure she does it in a very visual way by writing it on the wall, circling things. Like, at all times, he's talking about language, but he's also doing it in a way that's visually stimulating and makes you focus on what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, you didn't no, see Hello, Hi, I Mama? don't think that's actually being released in Australia yet. I tend to be behind on a few things. Which is frustrating. That's fine. You're not missing anything with the. I didn't think so. It's kind of the like surprise dark horse in the mix there. If of all the movies on there that I have seen, the one that I am most baffled by is Hell or High Water. It is so not (laughs) good. Like, I reviewed this for the site, and if I had given stars, I would have given it, like, one, one and a half. It's not a good movie. Like, it is the most pseudo-intellectual, racist pablum that you can imagine. And, like, it's the one on the list that I haven't heard of as well, in terms of I don't know a lot about it. Really? Because over here, like, everyone's fucking loves this movie and I'm like oh, did really? we see the same movie? Yeah I've barely heard anything about it. I don't know maybe well, I just hang out yeah, with a... a certain breed of filmmakers that are just not interested in it at all. <laughs> okay well, that might be the thing. You hang out with filmmakers I don't hang out with anyone <laughs> I just go online. And the people that I, I look online are basically film critics so maybe filmmakers who are smarter about this stuff are looking at this and go there's nothing here. Yeah perhaps. Um, Fences is yeah, amazing. I'm dying to see that. It's. I just blanked on the writer's name because I'm a horrible person. Hold on. August. August Wilson. Yes. Duh. Alright, yeah. Fences is. If it doesn't win something in terms of acting. Well, first up, before we get talking about that, is there anything in pictures you want to? Anything else in the pictures you want to talk about? Um. Well, I was interested to hear what you have to say about Manchester by the Sea, but we can get to that. Okay, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning is really good, and I love the fact that, like, because in the first like ten twenty minutes, he does uh, Kenneth Lonergan does a very good job. Of giving you a sense of place without showing you the place. He does it all in just letting characters talk. And so in the way they speak and the accents and the rhythm of the language gives you an idea that, oh, you're in Boston. Okay. And that's awesome. And then the movie starts and you're like, this is the movie? Because when it's dealing with just people talking, it's really great, but then it tries to be this really deep emotional melodrama, and it just comes off it kind of hacky. Yeah, right. Because... And there's a scene with Michelle Williams that apparently is why she got nominated for her supporting Oscar. Michelle Williams, who was brilliant in certain women, by the way, is fucking horrible in this movie. <laughs> she has a scene... And it's supposed to be this great powerful scene, but all she does is sputter for like two minutes. And it's like, wh- what is this? I kid you not, the scene is literally, I just, I want, I, 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 and Casey Affleck just does his little shrug yeah, and walk I'm away. Yeah, I'm kind of going to be hugely, and this is supposed to be the I'm emotional. I'm going to be hugely co- disappointed if Casey Affleck wins over Denzel Washington for this acting award. 
Um, cause everyone, well, absolutely. I know. <laughs> I haven't seen Fences yet, but everyone that I've spoken to that has seen it is like, this is the first time that Denzel was like not Denzel. Like, he was his character, and I just believed it. And I'm like, yeah, I want to see that. Well, what's, what's great about Denzel and Fences is he manages to play... Like, he brings the Denzel Washington chime. But unlike the character and um, that he won the Oscar for in Training Day, like, this guy isn't... He's a bad guy, but he's not, like, a murderous bastard like he was in Training Day. And he's really sort of this sort of abusive father figure. And Denzel almost dares you to like him and for points of the movie you do till you realize oh yeah this guy's sort of psychologically unhinged yeah right and it's the thing like he does just a brilliant job of forcing you almost tricking you into liking his character before you before he does something that is horrific and you're like oh my god what am i doing i don't like you why did i like you well see that's the thing though it's like that's the difference between wanting to see denzel win this over casey affleck is that you know, we can take that kind of thing in the film. Um, I mean, but not to get too deep into controversies, but Casey Affleck has previously been accused of sexual harassment, and so there's been controversy over his great um, streak here with this film. So. (laughs) Well, honestly, it's one of the things where, like, Okay, we're going to do spoilers, by the way, everyone. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Manchester by the Sea, the main flux of the drama comes from he got drunk one night with his friends, they did some cocaine, and he went out to the store and he left the fire going and the house burnt down, killing his three kids. So, is it... And you know what happens happens? to him? Oh, I was... I was just about to ask, Nothing is happens. there some kind of, like, redemption arc? Like, does he... No. <laughs> yeah, the, it's about this guy, like, somehow trying to redeem himself, but yet at the same time, he never changes. By the end, he's... St- throughout the entire movie, he's still drinking. And no one ever's like, oh, hey, you're drinking. That's, that's not cool, didn't... Last time you did that, didn't, like, your three kids die? No, no one <laughs> does that. Is it based on... And at the same time, he's also saddled with his... His brother's dead brother's son, because his brother willed him the son, and he spends part of the movie trying to get rid of the kid. That just sounds like a very strange plot. And I'm like, it is like when you when you get to the plot, like in the movie when they read the will, and it's like, oh by the way, your dead brother left you his son, and he's like, what? And it's like, yeah. It's like I don't want him. It's like he didn't discuss this with you, not at all. He made all these plans financially. I said, well, I don't want him. Oh, well. It's like even a Disney movie would have handled this better. Suspension of disbelief. Like Fred McMurray as the lawyer, and I don't know, Tim Conway as the reluctant father? I don't know. Yeah, but, you know, we know that the Oscars love the white man, so... I mean, I, I can't come up with any other excuse there. All I, it's one of the things where I'm just like... It's like, I don't understand. It's like... Just not, nothing happened, and like not in like in a cool way, like with Patterson. But not in nothing a cool way like happened. Ah, <laughs> uh, alright. So, <laughs> and Hidden oh, Figures is great. just a fun movie that. that wins anything. Yeah, that fine. can win all the things. Sure. <laughs> it's like it may not be the best movie, but it was for what it did. It was so yeah, much better than it, it needed to be. Fun. I'm fine. I just. Enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> um, the actor nominees are Casey Affleck, Ryan Gosling. Sorry, Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Morgenstern for Captain Fantastic, Viggo, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, and Denzel Washington for Fences. I haven't seen uh, Hexel or Captain Fantastic, but I sort of love that Vigo got nominated for yeah, like, this weird cool. little indie movie. 
Um, yeah, I'm just still not over Andrew Garfield getting nominated for Hacksaw Ridge instead of Silence, because he was just amazing in Silence. Silence should have a lot more than one nomination, well, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it should, but the Academy has a weird history with Martin Scorsese. Yeah. I mean, uh, Scorsese is, in my mind, one of the best cinematic storytellers working today, and the Academy's never really been hard on him. Yeah, and that's just the thing... Back to what we said at the beginning about the Oscars matter. Right. So, I guess we're voting for Denzel Washington. Yeah, I mean, I probably won't be... I mean, like, if Viggo Mortensen comes out of nowhere and wins it, like, okay, because then I guess we're supporting indie cinema just that tiny bit more. Um, but right. yeah, I really wouldn't be happy if anybody else wins it. <laughs> <laughs> for Best Actress, we have Isabel Hooper for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. This is actually... It's weird that the Best Actress category doesn't really have that much no. in common with the Best Picture category. It's great. I feel like this is a pretty good mix for Best Actress this year. I mean, like, I saw Florence Foster Jenkins, and I really did think that Meryl Streep is great. Um, and Emma Stone's nomination for La La Land is really just kind of to tick that box. <laughs> um, <laughs> seeing as La La Land is just sweeping. Well, I haven't seen... <laughs> yeah. Incredibly mediocre is what <laughs> That was code for. <laughs> was, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Samuel Jackson just did an interview on LA Times, and he's like, I watch all the nominees, but I turned off mm. La La Land after the first 20 minutes. Well, I mean, that's fair enough. I feel like the first 20 minutes was probably the best. <laughs> um... I don't know if you saw Loving, but Ruth Negga was amazing. That has not been released here yet. I've seen the trailer about ten times, and it and it looks great. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I did see Jackie though, um, and yeah, How it was, was interesting. It was not a conventional film at all. It was I described it when I came out of it as a character portrait, like a feature length character portrait, because um, it really just focused so heavily on Jackie and. There's not really a whole lot of plot in terms of it just kind of follows that history after the Kennedy, like, immediately after the Kennedy assassination. And we're just kind of getting a lot of her, like, reactions and emotions, and it's just, really the whole film is just about feeling. Which was quite interesting, especially in terms of, like, I'm actually quite glad to see that up there as a nomination, because I feel like it's a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure the Oscars absolutely love Natalie Portman, right. but for this film in particular, I think it's pretty great. Well, I actually really like Natalie Portman, and she's one of those actresses who's usually better than the material yeah, she I would does. Yeah, I agree with that. And, but but this, even then, like her performances are never really like great; they're just really good. But from what I've heard, that she does a really good job in Jackie. Like the director does something, and just. She manages to just make Jackie Yeah, come she alive. really does. It's a very... I would describe it as a very focused okay. performance. Huh? In a good way. Okay, well, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only one that I'm... Like, Florence Foster Jenkins I haven't seen, and I love Meryl Streep, but it feels like we just nominated <laughs> her because she did a movie. I saw that on the plane. I was on a flight from... LA back to Sydney, and I watched that at probably like 3am or something, and I was like, this movie's great! Um, (laughs) but that was probably partly my sleep deprivation. (laughs) Um, but no, I mean, like, it was a fun movie, because the, the characters in it are just really, really odd, and so it's just quite fun to see her do this really weird character. Like, it actually reminded me of some of the silly characters that you get in, like, kids' cartoons and stuff. Where they're just that little bit too eccentric right. and out there to be believable, um, but you just really enjoy their presence on screen. Um, so, and you know, it's got that element of right. kind of bittersweetness to it as well, um, 
which I'm sure everyone enjoys seeing Meryl Streep do that. So, I liked it. I mean, I'm kind of like, I don't know why they chose this, well, but one of the I'll, like... I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's because Meryl Streep is one of those actresses, and no matter what movie she does, she brings yeah. her A-game. Even if the movie isn't deserving, like, uh, what is that, Vicky and the Flash? The movie that was written oh, by Diablo yeah. Cody and directed by Jonathan Denny. She learned to play the guitar for that movie. She didn't need to. She could have easily just taken that movie as a yeah. paycheck. But like, she treated it like it was going to be... Ta- like it was Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Like it was something that needed to be studied. Yeah, and you definitely get that feeling from Florence um, Foster Jenkins. Like, she definitely gives it all. And that is literally the point of the character. Like, if the character has a goal, it's to give everything. So... I really could not imagine anybody else in that role. <laughs> well, it's one of the things where someone brought up, it's been brought up several several times, that Mel Streep doesn't do, like, she doesn't work with great directors, quote-unquote. Like, she's never worked with Scorsese. She, really, she, she worked with Altman once, Robert Altman. But she's like, if you name a great director working nowadays, she probably hasn't worked with them. She tends to work with people like the guy who did Devil Wells Prada. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And it's because she's like, because the great directors aren't writing great female characters, I don't ha- they don't have anything I want to play. If Martin Scorsese wants to do a movie about a woman, another one, I'll be glad to work with him. Yeah. And it's one of the things where like, she hasn't worked with any great directors because the great directors are all male. And all they do is write about and do it, tell stories about men. And she's like, I have yeah. no interest in those. And we see that a lot in terms of... There's a lot of great female actresses working at the moment. And you're like, what have they been in? Like, I think that's why everyone was so excited about Emma Stone in La La Land. Because they were like, oh, finally, she's in a good movie. We haven't seen her since Easy A. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's... We've yeah. been rooting for you for it's so long. It's kind of sad, really. Like, no matter the age of the actress, there's really... Because, I mean, like, everyone talks about that. Like, <laughs> oh, it's only the young ones getting the roles, which is true. But, like, even the, like, biggest young female actors at the moment, like, aren't really getting a lot. Like, Jennifer Lawrence has been continuously wasted right. on... Um, oh, I always forget this guy's name. Passengers? No, the director that she was working with, like, three times before. Um, I don't like David oh, Russell. David, um, yeah, I don't David like him, Russell. so I just block his name from my memory. <laughs> um, well, like, she did one movie with him, Civil Lines Playbook. She was amazing. No, she didn't he do um, that really weird, like, sort of heist movie with... Um, American uh, he Hustle. did American yeah, Hustle. Right. She was in that too. Which was fun. I don't know how great it was. The plot, I just remember the plot Sitting like, through it one really time, cool. it was awesome. I don't know if I want to go back and do it again. Oh no, that's right. She has done three films with him because she did Joy, which was terrible. Let's yeah. just not go there. Let's move on. <laughs> it's not relevant this year. <laughs> Uh, supporting actor, we have Marcella Ali for Moonlight, Jeff Bridges for Hello High Water, <laughs> fuck you, Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea, Deb Patel for Lion, and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. Out of the blue for Michael, Michael Shannon's Shannon. awesome, though. I really like him. I haven't seen that movie, though, I so love... I can't vouch for it at all, but... <laughs> well, I've only seen, like, maybe... Like whenever Michael, I will say this: whenever Michael Shannon shows up, I'm like, okay. At the very least, I know one person is going to make, who's going to entertain me, and give a really good performance. Yeah. There's a moment in Loving where Michael Shannon just shows up and he plays just a nice sort of genial character, and it's so un-Michael Shannon-like. It honestly just it's worth the price <laughs> of admission alone. He's there for like maybe three minutes. But it, it's so not Michael Shannon, it takes you a while to realize, who the fuck is that? No, that's Michael Shannon with glasses, okay. <laughs> Proving that, yes, glasses are a perfect disguise. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, but yeah, with this category, I'm really, 
rooting for Mahershala Ali. I think he's a great actor, and he was really great in that role in Moonlight. Um, that scene... I'm, I'm rooting for Mahershala Ali. But I'll, I won't be mad if no, Michael I mean, Shannon wins. No, I mean, I'd never wins. be mad if Michael Shannon wins. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, that but... scene um, in Moonlight... Uh, so yeah, Marshall is Ali. We, when he when the kid yeah. asked him about the word, and they're just like sitting at the table, and everyone's like hugely emotional, but everyone's hiding it. It was just like I cried. I was the one letting out the emotions. <laughs> it was a great scene. <laughs> well, no, like for those of you at home who don't know what the scene is, there's a scene in Moonlight in which the young kid asked Marshall Ali and Janelle Monet. So basically, they're not his pants, but they're his circuit pants in a way. Michelle Ali is a drug dealer. And the kid asks him what a word means. And it's these. It's a gay slur. I don't slur. want to say the word, but it's, it's a gay slur. Yeah. It's the gay slur. Put it that way. And the scene is handled with such deafness and tenderness. And the way Michelle Ali just oozes understanding and love because he can tell that he knows the kid is gay. Even though the kid may not know it. And Marshall Ali may not know it 100%, but he's like, I think you might be. And it's okay if you don't know. It's fine. It's okay. And it's such a... It's one of the best scenes in, <laughs> yeah, of the year so far, I think. Hugely realistic. Like, anyone that can relate to that scene, like with any of the characters in that scene, like, it would hit hard. Right. Like, I saw, like, a Q&A afterwards. And he wasn't there, but some of the other actors were. And a lot of people stood up, and a lot of gay people, a lot of gay, uh, stood up, a lot of gay people stood up and said, hey, this movie was everything I thought Brokeback Mountain was going to be for me. And they almost all pointed to either, A, that scene that we just talked about, or the scene yeah. on the beach. Or the scene in which he, uh, the young, um, the young kid, uh, goes to town on the bully with the chair. Yeah. Which is both a cathartic scene, and at the same time, you're like, oh god, you're gonna get in trouble. Yeah, and... If, if you were a white kid doing that, you may have gotten off, but there's no way... Yeah, there was a lot of... Yeah, heavy emotional stuff in that movie, but a lot of it was, like, subtle, I suppose. Except for that scene. But that's why it's so powerful. That's why it's so powerful. <laughs> well, no, it's a yeah. very subtle movie. Um, and... But people who've said that the movie was depressing... No, I didn't not at all. Especially with the ending. Like, we won't spoil the ending for listeners, because I'm gunning for everyone to see this movie. Um, but a lot of people were, like, surprised at the ending, <laughs> like, where it ended in terms of they thought it was going to continue and that they needed more, and I was like, no, that's all I needed. It was perfect. Did you ever hear the story, Roger Ebert tells a story about someone called him up on the phone to say, we will go into the movies and was there any particular movie you think we should see? And Roger Ebert said... This is uh, such and such. It's the best movie I've seen all year. It is the best movie out. It is the best movie that you will see probably for the rest of the year. And they said, oh, I don't know. We, that doesn't sound like well, that'd be for us. I only bring it up because it's one, like I push yeah. that movie on a lot of people, and they always have that same reaction. Oh, that sounds great. I yeah, don't well, think see, I want to watch thing, that. Yeah, we'll see this thing. I wish there was a way to like. I'm like, no, you do. You do want to watch this. To watch Moonlight without telling them what it was about. Like, I took my parents. I won some tickets, um, and I took my parents to see it, and they didn't know anything about it at all. Um, and they both walked out of it and was like, "That was amazing." And I don't think that they necessarily would have gotten around to seeing it. Like, my parents are pretty big on film. Um, but in terms of, because there's so many things right. out there and because audiences, ge <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> because audiences generally, um, you know, go for the films with characters that they can relate to or a story that on the outset looks interesting to them personally. Um, you know, when there's so many stuff, so right. much stuff out there, 
like, yeah, it's kind of hard to get to everything if you're not a, an avid film watcher. Um, so yeah, I know right. for a lot of people, Moonlight would not be their first choice. So, but it should be. <laughs> Any, hey, anyone listening, Moonlight should be your first, second, yes. and third and choice. fourth. So, <laughs> and on down the list. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's no, see there's it, no see better it nine movie times, out right now. And then if anyone asks Outside you of if you've women, seen the nine playing. best picture nominees, you can just be like, yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Supporting actress, we have Viola Davis for Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures, and the sputtering Michelle Williams. Well, this for is a big hitback uh, category for Oscar So White because this is historic. This is the first time that three. <laughs> women of color have been nominated in the same category, I believe. Or at least in the same acting category. Right. Don't quote me on that first. Right. Well, this is uh, also the first time that a black director has been nominated in, uh, for Best Picture, Best Director, yeah. Best Screenwriter. Um, also, Moonlight has... And Best yeah. Producer, so that's five categories. And Moonlight and also has historic. a black female editor, and I think that's the first time a black woman's been nominated in that category, so that's awesome as yeah. well. Understand this should be noted as this is historic, but by no means marks the trend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I point to, as always, the 19... I believe it was 1965 when uh, Sidney Poitier won for Lilies of the Field. And Holly was like, see, we beat racism. <laughs> And then the next year they nominated Lawrence Olivier for Othello. Yeah, well, the, the Oscars are always kind of thinking that they... And it was not just blackface, it was black body paint. The Oscars always kind huh? of seem to think that they've beat racism in one sort of hit. Like, there was actually an amazing article <laughs> that I read just recently. It came out recently um, with Viola Davis saying some stuff about the movie The Help from a couple of years back. Um... Where she was basically like, this movie was just right. not as good as everyone thought it was. Like, she talked about how, um, like, <laughs> the, her character and Octavia Spencer, um, so the black women, the help in the film, um, they don't, like, they rise up against the white women in the movie, but in really subtle ways, um, and they do things, like, undercover right. in terms of, like, the pie and stuff like that. Um, like, there's nothing loud or bold about the way they rise up. And to Viola Davis, she was just like, that's not realistic at all. Like, there would have been times, if that were me, and, like, I know, you know, in terms of history, that, like, I would have yelled and screamed. And, like, and I think she said also that they tried to, like, add more, like, her and Octavia Spencer tried to, like, give more to their performance and things got cut to, like, tone it down and stuff. And, you know, when you hear that, you're just kind of like, yeah, this movie didn't achieve what it could have achieved. And that's why Hidden Figures was so great, because there was that line, um, uh, that scene between Octavia Spencer and Kirsten Dunst, um, where, in the hallway, yeah. Between her and and Kirsten Dunst? What does she say, Kirsten Dunst? She says, uh, despite what you may think, I don't hate you. Yeah, and then, um... And Octavia Octav- Spencer says... Octavia Spencer goes, yeah, I, I believe you, you believe, believe that. that. And there were a few people in my uh, yeah. cinema, because I saw it in, at a, in a full theater. There was a few people that clapped when Octavia Spencer said that line. I was just like, yes. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Uh, there were more than a few people who clapped yeah. in my screening as it well. It was just like a nice, a nice hit back. And again, like compared to the stuff Viola Davis was saying, like it's still pretty subtle. Um, but yeah, it felt, it felt good. Right. Um, just to clear up one thing, uh, Sidney Poitier won in 1964 for Lilies in the Field, and Lawrence Olivier was nominated in 1965. Uh, yeah. 
Alright. We have run out of time. And so, um, join me uh, next time and uh, next month. This is going to be a bi-weekly podcast. Um, we don't really know the date of the next time because I have been summoned for jury duty. So once we get figured out what I'm doing with that, then we'll make the uh, date. You can follow me on J. Sherman Fiction uh, at Twitter. What can they follow um, you on? Oh, well, you can look me up on fundamentals.com slash author slash Aaron. Um, and I think I have some links to my social media on there as well. Okay. Um, the next podcast, the theme will be Resist. And we're going to be talking about four movies. 2005's Good Night, Good Luck by George Clooney. Uh, William A. Wellman's 1943, The Oxbow Incident. Ava DuVernay's two, uh, 2014 Selma. And Michael Curtis's 1943 classic Casablanca. Um, please listen to the other podcasts on the Phantom Mentals. Ladies First and the Phantom Mentalists. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you, Thank you for on. listening. And uh, be safe, everybody. Thanks for having me Excuse on. Me? No problem. Thank you for uh, coming on. We'll, hopefully next time we'll get this down a little bit more packed. <laughs> Great. Thanks for listening. All right. Have a good one, everybody.